Morning everyone, uh, it's uh, Kevin Taylor here, I'm the uh, pastor of the Elam Church in Bubush. As you may know, we're still stuck in a pandemic, so we're doing uh, meetings online. And uh, so this morning for sort of maybe 40 minutes, uh, depending how long I go on for, uh, I'll be speaking uh, and then later on around 11.30 we'll meet for communion and worship and fellowship and prayer and that sort of thing. Thanks to everyone uh, that's commented. It's really good just to uh, uh, let each other know we're here and uh, the odd amen will never go amiss. Never goes amiss in a normal meeting and uh, virtual meetings are uh, no exception. Excellent. Um, so hopefully it's all, all good. Um, so through the ages, uh, over campfires, and bedtimes, kids' bedtimes, adults' bedtimes, uh, in studies and classrooms. Uh, these moments, uh, uh, through thousands of years, have been filled with moments of epic stories. These narratives we tell each other of heroes battling against the odds. Uh, I was looking back at uh, some of the heroes, and it's fascinating. All the different cultures have their own people. Uh, uh, that they lift up and uh, say, you know, this person won uh, a great victory. So the Egyptians have Horus, uh, the Finns have an unpronounceable guy uh, called Lemin Kayan, uh, the Chinese have Guan Yu, uh, I listened to the, uh, the MP3 of uh, uh, the person's name again and again and never could quite get it, uh, the Inuits have Kivik. Um, and uh, perhaps more familiar, uh, the ancient Greek boys, when they grew up, they wanted to be like uh, Odysseus, who had some uh, amazing adventures. And over the time, modern writers haven't let that fall, you know. Uh, we still know what a, a hero means. Uh, I mean, Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter are, are probably uh, examples of that too. Um, but a, a more classic example... Uh, would be found in Alexander Dumas's tale of uh, the Three Musketeers. Uh, it's uh, it's an enduring story. It, it, it's lasted a few hundred years and uh, very famous and been retold again and again. And so in his novel, uh, Dumas tells us of this uh, uh, young uh, man. He's, he's poor, uh, but he has this sort of certain stock, certain nobility in his breeding um, and he lives in the countryside and in this classic tale he goes to the city you know this place where there's there's fame and there's skilled fighters and there's all sorts of things that will awaken uh, him into adulthood um, and so this morning I want to begin uh, by reading the advice Titanian's dad gives him as he leaves on his quest, as he leaves to go to Paris, as he leaves to become uh, a musketeer. Um, you won't have this, uh, uh, but let me read it to you. It says this. So you've got to be, a, you imagine yourself a young man, you're raring to go into the big city and your dad, who you love, who you respect, uh, has uh, um, got certain vintage about him. He goes this. It is by his courage, mark this well, it is by his courage alone that a gentleman makes his way nowadays. Whoever hesitates one moment 
lets perhaps that chance escape him, which fortune for that moment alone has offered him. You are young and ought to be brave for two reasons. The first, because you are a Gascon. The second, because you are my son. Have no fear for many conflicts um, and look about for adventures. You have been taught to handle the sword. You have muscles of iron, a wrist like steel. Fight whenever you can. The more so because duels are forbidden and consequently it requires twice as much courage to fight. I have to give you but 15 crowns, my son, besides the horse and the advice which you have just heard. Your mother will add to them the recipe for a certain balsam which she received from a bohemian woman and which has the miraculous power of curing every wound which has fallen short of the heart. Take advantage of all and live long and happily. A rousing uh, words, quite a stirring speech for a young man to hear uh, as he go on his quest. I think uh, uh, my children um, would approach the uh, their life at Bewbridge Academy quite differently if each morning I sent them out uh, uh, with this uh, encouragement to, to fight and to show their bravery. Uh, and uh, um, I think perhaps they would uh, grasp opportunities by the throat uh, being sent out like that. And so with such a beginning, it's little surprise that what the book turns out to be. Uh, inevitably, uh, it turns out we have fights in the Three Musketeers. We have blood, we have rivalry and we have glory. You know, it's a, a proper adventure story. And it's little surprise um, ever since the book was published 186 years ago uh, that children have aspired to be like D'Artagnan. They are sort of young and they want to make their mark on the world. You know, they want to move forward. They want to prove themselves. They want to challenge uh, uh, the norms. They want to explore, find what's in their hearts and find out uh, what the world has to offer. And uh, it, it's uh, uh, so common for them to embrace these swashbuckling roles with enthusiasm. And uh, so I just want to uh, let that sort of filter down a little bit, the, this image and desire to move forward and, and uh, this, this longing to be dynamic and make an impact. Now I want you to hold that thought and we're going to move to Isaiah chapter 59. It says this in Isaiah 59. Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die and when one is broken another is hatched. 
Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. Quite grim reading, not the sort of rousing Sunday morning uh, psalm uh, uh, that you would be drawn to if you were sort of voluntarily uh, reading stuff. Um, I want to draw your attention to uh, two particular things. First of all, they are this clothing of cobwebs and the feet that stumble. You have uh, some very inadequate clothing there and some movement that just ends in disaster. Do you know, evil acts can often feel like moments of liberation, you know, kicking the teeth for normality and custom and uh, restrictive practices. They can feel moments of bravery, moments of independence and autonomy. But the Bible makes clear that every moment, every single time we indulge in sin, and this has been true throughout all history, it has merely brought ensnaring, merely distanced humanity from a loving Heavenly Father. These moments we think are bringing uh, freedom actually just bring us closer into slavery and they distance us from the one that loves us more than anyone else and distances us from the one who knows us better and is more powerful than all. I think like Tanyan's dad, our Heavenly Father sends us out. He has a confidence in us, not because we're amazing but because we're made in his image and he's got a plan and purpose for us. He has ambitious purposes for us. You know, he has good deeds for us to achieve. He, he has uh, plans for us to accomplish. He has spiritual victories that he longs for us to be conquerors in. And yet when we sin, we clothe ourselves in cobwebs, which is... Uh, sad and ridiculous and we trip ourselves up and that is no movement for a victor that is no sign of a conqueror to trip up and it means that we cannot live out his purposes for us we cannot live out what he longs for us to achieve he would send us out to do so much and yet we are inadequately clothed and inadequately prepared. 
And so what's the solution? Because we found time and time again, mere self-restraint and uh, uh, that sort of uh, emphasis on our own conduct fails again and again, doesn't it? You know, we've tried to be good and holy and then again and again we fail. And then this was the solution uh, that Isaiah prophesied. And it goes, it says this, at the end of the very same chapter I read out that talks about cobwebs and stumbling feet. His own arm achieved salvation. His own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. There's this salvation because God brings it. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my word that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and the lips of their descendants. And from this time on and forever and ever, says the Lord. It's quite a great response to this desperate talk of cobwebs and lies and adder eggs. As evil enslaves people, as it causes us to be embarrassed and trip over, God puts on some military grade armour and goes into battle and there's this uh, great image of a hero, a warrior king. It's as if all those tales told in all these different cultures of heroes doing great things prepare us for the truest story, for the greatest tale, for the moment where our warrior, God and king comes to save us. And the reality, the actuality, the the uh, living out of this victory is that the battle ready God uh, brings to us Jesus and Jesus dies and kicks death in the teeth and rises again and sits at the right hand of the Father and we have this magnificent victory we have this great win by Jesus this is the the way that Jesus uh, um, that God helps those clothed in cobwebs and that are stumbling like blind people. And secondly, not only does Jesus come and rise again, but this Kevlar-coated God gives us his Holy Spirit. He puts his Holy Spirit in us believers so we could be free to pursue glory, so that we are not entangled by that sin and evil which has up to this point stopped us going forward. Now, while the prophet Isaiah looked forward to Jesus, while he looked forward to the spirit being given, while he looked forward to the revelation of the gospel, 
the, the Apostle Paul writes it as a current reality, you know. He's saying, this is something I know. Isaiah talked about it um, as something to come, but I'm going to tell you what I know, what I've experienced, what I can firsthand guarantee is true. You see, Paul knew Jesus. He'd seen him on the Damascus Road and lived with him all his life as someone there that he honoured and glorified. And the presence of God was something that he was just well acquainted with. There is that beautiful moment. He goes, you know, I, I wish you could all speak in tongues because I speak in it more than all of you. He, he is oh so familiar with the paraclete and the Nazarene. Now we've been looking a bit, you hopefully remember, uh, at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're going through his letters in our Bible reading plan and I still encourage you to uh, keep on with that. We're nearing the end, I think sort of 5th of December is the time uh, uh, that that comes to a completion and we move on to something else. Uh, but we've been reading uh, uh, through his letters and, and we are focusing just a moment on his letter to the Ephesians in particular, his call uh, to put on armour for a spiritual battle, you know, as we are isolating from each other, as we're in lockdown, there can be a sense where we are vulnerable to being picked off, where the Church of God isn't meeting physically and so uh, uh, we can be more vulnerable to uh, attacks. Last week we looked at the kind of Roman context, you know, at the time Paul writes, the Roman Empire kind of ruled the Mediterranean world and it was the cultural setting for his ideas on soldiers and battle. And, and when he writes his uh, bit in Ephesians 6, that is there in his mind, um, his familiarity with soldiers who have arrested him, who shackled him, who have stood guard over him and his readership who are known what it's like uh, to be governed and kept in order uh, uh, by this uh, police force. And so this week I, I want to just sort of change the emphasis and say, you know, not only was Paul aware of this sort of Roman context, um, not only was he aware uh, of uh, the empire, but he remembered the Old Testament as as well. Uh, and he remembered uh, this uh, moment in Isaiah. He was an educated uh, Jew uh, and he would have been uh, um, aware of this uh, Isaiah 59, this talk of a battling God. The, uh, the question about paraclete is just another way of saying the Holy Spirit. You know, you can only say Holy Spirit so many times, so I try and draw on different uh, uh, ways. It's, uh, um, I think it might be uh, the Gospel of John's uh, referral to uh, the Holy Spirit as our, our ambassador, someone that looks out for us. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, I always like to uh, push your knowledge forward and get you asking questions. Um, so I just want to read this uh, passage in Ephesians uh, 6. Again and again and again. It says this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talk about stand rather than advance because Jesus has already won the battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The very first bit of armour he mentions is a belt. Would that be the first thing you would think of when you are listing important bits of armour? I'm not even sure in my mind a belt is armour. It's just something that you have all the time. It's not something that you put on especially for something. In uh, 1942, uh, there was a farmer uh, and he, uh, there was a farm worker uh, called Gordon Butcher, proper uh, uh, old English name. Um, you can imagine him uh, uh, being part of a village. Um, so he's ploughing some fields uh, near the village of West Row in Suffolk. Um, him and his mate, Sydney, um, and they came across 34 masterpieces of Roman silver. Um, eight kilos of bullion they found. His mate, Sydney, uh, managed to con his mate Gordon and he took it home. Um, and um, his mate thought they were so nice, he put them on his mantelpiece on his side on his uh, sideboard just so that uh, uh, they'd be pretty there. And apparently like an archeologist came over and he was like, oh, nothing to see here, mate. It's just, just a bit of pewter, don't worry about it. Uh, but eventually the archeologist sort of realized that this guy had a massive hoard. Um, and uh, this hall that they found while plowing a field um, was known as the Milden Hall treasure. Um, and it was actually, um, and it still is today, the uh, biggest, most valuable find in Britain, Gordon Butcher. Thank you very much. Now, among all the different treasures, uh, there is something called the Great Dish or the Oceanus Disc or the Neptune Dish. And it shows various different figures. Um, and some are quite naked and uh, some are kind of uh, clothed in typical uh, Roman uh, fashion. They have sort of a uh, uh, large sheets draped over their shoulders um, and uh, it's it sort of uh, lots of uh, loose clothing. Now, if you picture that being everyday garb and, and uh, uh, there's lots of evidence to say that that, that is what uh, uh, Roman life looked like. Lots of people going around with sheets around them. If that is what you were, and then imagine being Odysseus or D'Artagnan or a Roman soldier uh, uh, wearing such a thing, it would be rubbish, it would be useless. You can't fight no one with huge sheets entangling uh, you. If you've ever tried to make the bed, you'll know how impossible and misbehaving uh, large sheets uh, can be. And so throughout ancient times, and it says it in the Old Testament and uh, uh, we find out uh, here in the New Testament and uh, elsewhere in the Roman literature, you need a belt if you're going to fight. You need something to just bring order for all this flowing robe stuff uh, going on. Otherwise, this can be no um, precise movement. 
and uh, Paul tells us that um, Elithia or truth needs to be put on to bring agility to our battles, to bring order uh, to our fighting. And if you want to know what truth is, it's rather than come up with your own definition and you'll find lots of people approach these things by uh, making up their own minds as to uh, what truth and righteousness mean. It's always good to go what Paul says and, and wonderfully and helpfully and unsurprisingly, Paul tells us what truth is. If you go earlier in the same book of Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 4, it says this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self can you see he's laying the foundations of this idea of armor you know put off the old stuff put on the new stuff um and uh, he talks about truth of jesus um, and put on the new self created to be like god in true righteousness and holiness Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. First and foremost, this belt of truth that we buckle tightly. It is made um, of the great gospel of Jesus Christ. His death on a cross paid the penalty for our sins so that we are near neither guilty before God nor enslaved this belt of truth is the essence of our faith it is the middle bit it ties it all together if we don't know that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus we are going to get confused we are going to be get mixed up and we're going to be a flipping liability on the battlefield. We're not going to be any use to anybody if we haven't got that belt of truth. We're going to have our robes just entangling us and we're going to get uh, 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 disorientated and start fighting our own troops. We need this belt of truth. And secondly, this very same spiritual belt is also the truth that we speak to one another. We speak encouragement to one another. We build up one another and we spur one another on. It is how we relate to each other. We don't let our brothers and sisters in arms get taken out by ignorance, deceit and immorality. We speak truth again and again to all those around us. We let them know the grace of God. We let them know the love of God. We let them know the salvation that Jesus brings. And that brings everything together. That stops uh, flailing and ignorant fighting. And I think possibly Paul's call here can be uh, best summed up uh, by a 19th century songwriter called uh, Charity Lee Smith. Um, I actually thought this was a, a newer song, but it, it, it goes back a, 
uh, over a hundred years and this lady from Ireland penned these awesome words which uh, you're probably familiar with and she wrote this when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless saviour died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me when Satan attacks this belt of truth binds it all together brings it all together so my friends let us always put on the truth of the gospel it makes us free for the fight and resilient to the uh, devil's pathetic accusations of guilt and shame the uh the last point of this talk uh goes on about the breastplate so on friday i i was fortunate uh, uh, to chat with one of our uh, congregation who's actually been a soldier in the army you know uh, uh, in uh, sermons uh, preachers can often say oh well th this is the truth and, and sometimes not have first-hand knowledge of it well I was talking to a uh, uh, an ex-soldier on on Friday and about his experiences and and um, I deliberately steered the conversation uh, to rifle practice because I was like I want some sort of first-hand authoritative uh, word about this sermon uh, uh, and we, I was talking about rifle practice and he explained to me that there is a common misconception uh, that the headshot is the one to go for if you've ever played uh, Call of Duty or something you know it's uh, 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 there, there, there's something um, uh, exciting about, about going for that but in real battle um, that's not the thing to aim for you see while the head does contain the soft tissue of the brain the head is actually relatively small. Some of, our, some of us have smaller heads than others. Um, and it's also, it's got encased by a very hard shell, um, the skull. Um, I was trying to work out how much force uh, was needed to break the skull. Um, and it seems that uh, the, like the, the biggest force ever exerted by human hands uh, couldn't crush a human skull. You'd need at least twice that. And that is the pressure that it would take uh, to, uh, to, to break the skull. And, and so we have a very hard casing on the soft tissue of the brain. And it's not easily uh, uh, penetrated. Um, and in a war scenario, um, the head um, is often protected by a helmet as well. So it becomes even more uh, impenetrable. And so our, our veteran uh, explained that he was trained from the beginning to aim not for their head, or the extremities but for the targets torso it is the biggest surface uh, uh, in your line of sight um, and it moves less so arms and heads will fail uh, uh, but the torso will move less and it'll house the uh, vital organs you know that the, the lungs and the heart and stuff that, that we need to live and uh, so having put on the belt that removes restrictions, that ties it all together, that makes us able to fight. Um, it is little wonder 
um, that the second piece of Paul uh, armor that Paul tells us to put on is the breastplate, this thing that goes over the torso. And this breastplate, Paul tells us, is of righteousness. Righteousness uh, provides protection against our obvious vulnerabilities, our soft tissues. I wonder what you think of when you think of a breastplate of righteousness. I really hope if that gospel of truth is really important to you, that rather than your own righteousness, that you think instinctively uh, not of your good deeds, but of Jesus's perfection. The breastplate which hides the breath in our lungs and the beat of our heart now becomes a picture of our life hid in Christ. This breastplate is Jesus's righteousness that protects us from the uh, fiery arrows of the evil one. It's better than steel plates, better than Kevlar. Uh, Jesus's work completely uh, uh, covers and protects our vulnerabilities. He makes us impervious to spiritual death. We are no longer vulnerable in the enemy's uh, uh, sight because of this breastplate of Jesus's righteousness. Let me read you a little more on the matter in Colossians chapter uh, 3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verse 3, just start the uh, passage off. It says this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There's this identity, this look on one and see the other. There's this breastplate that hides us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I hope as I read out those words, you can hear the finality of them. They're not up for grabs. They're not up for a negotiation. You don't go, well, sometimes I'm hid with Christ. You know, sometimes he's my hope. Um, it's I might be dead at this moment and living with Christ, but I'm, tomorrow might be different. It's you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. It is a past tense that you were in sin and now you are in his righteousness and there's this there's this wonderful certainty of being under Christ's protection that as sometimes Christians we uh, lose that certainty we lose that irrevocable salvation that Jesus brings we somehow think our failings somehow undermine the great work of Jesus and uh, the whole point is that Jesus has done everything we can't add or subtract to it and we've already looked at that time and time again and so Jesus is not just the hero of heroes. He's not just the king of kings. He is the breastplate of breastplates. And as we think on that, as we bask in the work Jesus has done, as we feel secure under his protection, as we feel invulnerable uh, in battle, I want to just continue reading this part in Colossians because it suddenly gets a little less comfortable. Listen to this. Put to death then. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You know, you're not supposed to indulge in stuff that you did when you were dead. What are these things? 
I don't think it's an accident that the first one he mentions time and time again, sexual immorality. And then he goes on, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. This is great emphasis on past tense. Um, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. How's your speech been this week? Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices again, there's this put off and on. And uh, sort of preparing us for this sort of idea of armour again. Put off and on. Um, so put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that is who we are and we need to behave like it, clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And if those sum you up, are those your key attributes? If someone was describing you, would they say those things? Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The breastplate stands for our life hid with Christ. But it is also a call for us to act as these new creations. We need to leave behind the behaviour that characterised us before Jesus. We need to leave behind immorality, where we behave as we see fit, rather than as the spirit in our hearts dictates or the Bible reveals. We need to leave behind greed. Greed for money, greed for wealth, greed for food. We need to leave behind deceit, lying, pretending we are something that we're not. We need to leave behind offensive language. We live in a culture where kind of offensive language adds theatre to a moment. And uh, I can often feel myself reaching for a word uh, that isn't appropriate and we're not to do this we're not to uh, bring in language that is inappropriate we need instead to embrace these characteristics embrace patience this world doesn't encourage patience but Jesus does be patient don't be in such a rush for everything. Don't be so self-centred that you cannot wait. We're to be gentle and kind. 
Is that what characterises your behaviour to other people? Is that what your other half would say you mostly are? Is that what your children would say you are? Those that know you well, would they say, if you cut them, they bleed kindness and gentleness? First and foremost, these attributes should be found in how we deal with the fellowship. You know, Paul talks about amongst yourselves. It, this should be where we practice and do most of it. Where we are kind and thoughtful to one another. Look out for one another. And after practicing them internally, we get to do them well at large. You know, uh, we've done it with our family and now we get to work out. Some people want to uh, reach out, but they have got no idea what true compassion and patience looks like because they haven't uh, entertained it within the fellowship. These periods of lockdown have been a real opportunity. A real opportunity for us to demonstrate whether we are wearing spiritual armour or not. Have you demonstrated that you have spiritual armour? Have I? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. This is why that we have a talk on a Sunday morning to challenge and stop us and uh, uh, halt the thoughtless uh, sequence of behaviours that we indulge in. Where it's a moment for us to be checked and say, hold on, what on earth are you doing? In these periods of lockdown, people have been distressed. Some have been angry. Some have been unsettled. Old ways of life have vanished. Old securities have gone. Some people have been found to be acutely in need, while others have had time on their hands. They get lonely and isolated. So the question is, are you wearing the armour of righteousness and is it obvious to anyone else? How have you done in these periods of lockdown? Have you reached out with gentleness and kindness to those nearest you, to the family of faith and to the people that are lost and wandering with their clothes of cobwebs? Have we just retreated into ourselves? Have we got stressed and angry and worked up and self-preoccupied? Have we retreated into our homes out of uh, uh, fear uh, and selfishness? Friends, I am not Elim Buvish. It is not me. I'm not synonymous with the term. We are all Elim Buvish. All the people hopefully watching uh, are probably part of our congregation. So the question is, how have you reached out? How have you put on this breastplate of righteousness and been kind and patient with other people? Have you thought about them? Have you prayed about them? Have you asked about them? You may not have been able to go around the house for a cup of tea, but have you done something that demonstrates love? Righteousness is not just about not doing stuff, but it is about doing 
kind, hospitable, patient, compassionate things. Friends, this breastplate that we wear, this constant practice of agape love, this uh, ability to be patient and kind come rain or shine is a piece of spiritual armour we cannot do without. You cannot progress. You cannot uh, have the breastplate without having the truth first. And you cannot have the uh, other things without having this breastplate on. You cannot do without this breastplate of righteousness. If you always embrace selfless righteousness, then you're always treasuring this new heart and air the Spirit brings, this thing that the Isaiah prophet told will happen. I want to end with uh, the despicable words of the senior devil Screwtape. Uh, he's writing to his nephew, uh, Wormwood. Uh, hopefully you're familiar with the Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read the Screwtape Letters, what have you been doing with your life? At the very least, you can get the audiobook uh, uh, and uh, enjoy it, if that's the right word. Um, and we have this moment uh, of wisdom, uh, of devilish wisdom from Screwtape that perfectly illustrates this point about the, the breastplate of righteousness, about uh, loving uh, regardless of the situation and how it, once we have that practice, we become a little harder to attack for the devil. So let me close with these words. It's very difficult not to try and put on a devilish accent with this. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a Christian. The enemy, that's God, the enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavour. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories from the Od Odyssey, that's the tales of Odysseus that we mentioned earlier in the uh, uh, um, Greeks. Um, it occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories from the Odyssey buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task of learning to live together. It occurs when you love the music of Miles Davis and then try and play it on the piano and the reality's somewhat a little different. Um, and goes on. In every department of life, it marks the transition from de dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. The enemy takes this risk because he has a curious fantasy of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls his free lovers, yeah, and servants, sons is the word he uses, with his inveterate love of degrading the whole spiritual world by our natural liaisons with the two-legged animals. Desiring their freedom, he therefore refuses to carry them by their mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. 
he leaves them to do it on their own. And their lives are opportunity. But also, remember, their lives are most danger. If once they get through this dryness successfully, they become much less dependent on emotion and much harder to tempt. And we have screw tape illustrate the point perfectly. That when we are loving and kind as a measure of our character rather than we've had a good week or a bad week, we are sh sure foot in the resurrection of Jesus and we are more able to uh, repel the temptations of the devil. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's writing about this spiritual armour. Lord God, I pray that all of us would put it on. Lord God, I ask that every single member of our congregation is profoundly aware of the basis for their salvation. This being saved by grace through faith, this loving gesture of Jesus living, dying and rising again, that that would bind everything together, that we would be ready and able to fight because of that being the centerpiece. And Lord God, we thank you that he, Jesus, is also our righteousness, that he, uh, his good deeds, his achievements, cover our vulnerabilities, cover our inadequacies. And Lord God, I pray that we would put on our new self, that we would live out this life of Christ, that we would be kind, patient, gentle, compassionate and moral because of who we are, not because of what we feel like, not because of just the opportunities presented or not just because uh, something happens. Lord God, I pray that it would be ingrained into our behaviour and that as we are good at loving, as we are good at loving our families, as we are good at loving the church, as we are good even at loving the unsaved people, that, Lord God, we would become better protected against the temptations and fiery arrows of the evil one. Lord God, I pray this for all of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Uh, well, we're at an end. Um, just thank you uh, for joining in. Good to see uh, a number of you sort of watching. Um, thank you for the sort of comments and uh, greetings. I'd love to know what Peter's nope means. I'm, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Um, appreciate the question about the paraclete. Um, I say these things, they trip off my tongue. Um, and I expect everyone to know them, so I appreciate that question and uh, um, look forward to seeing 
uh, you all uh, in Zoom in eight minutes or so, hopefully, if I can uh, get my act together. Uh, uh, God bless.